0: Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Great. Good. I love you all so much. And your clapping is so bad. But I love you. I I know I'm not gonna harp on it every Sunday, but I was like coming up the stairs and my heart just warmed because I thought like they're so bad, but I love them. Like, that's love. That is love, when you know the flaws of your congregation and you love them despite. I was coming up, and there was somebody in here that wanted to clap, and maybe two other people that were supporting that one person. And the rest of you are like, yeah. <laughs> Good times. And I, love I hope everyone's week found them well. This weekend was really special in the life of Trinity Church. We uh, we partnered with IF and we had an IF gathering at the Carcano's house. So thank you Carconos, for opening up your house again, um, and just making it a place uh, where people feel welcome and loved. And I saw the pictures uh, on, on Facebook and this stuff. My wife told me at the time it was so uh, warm and inviting and, and just really a, a place that nurtured worship, a place that. Uh, really loved on the women of this church it's a great uh, ministry it's a great uh, just uh, event where women all over the globe come together through the medium of streaming and through the conference that's actually in Dallas um, and we're just honored to be a part of that uh, it, there are a lot of people that help make that happen but specifically I want to thank Ka- uh, Catherine Espinoza who came alongside and we can't clap for her so uh, she does so much so if you don't know um, she is on staff, and she is really the minister of culture at Trinity uh, Church. If you see something done well or executed well, you can bank that she was behind it, planned it, or, or helped uh, facilitate it. She's the, she's the Matthew McConaughey of Trinity Church. And some of you don't get that joke, but it's okay. Um, but she did a really good job, and, and we're thankful for that. My wife uh, just came back gushing about just the worship that happened and, and all the beauty that happened, but then just the intentionality to love on people. I heard there was even a gluten free toaster. And that is love in Oak Cliff. And not only are we going to provide gluten free food, but you're going to have a way to heat it and toast it that won't contaminate. And that's, that's intentionality and that's love. So thank you for that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm always excited for that weekend. I'm thankful for the dads that helped make it happen by watching the kids that were probably a weekend of anxiety. I can only imagine some of you were really excited, some of you just like had this, this calendar or this date marked on your calendar for different reasons. Of, of anxiety and stress but you're, you made it through your kids are safe some of them are super sick like mine at home um my we we've raised our kids to be loving and sharing and they do that and they share each other's germs and they just start this this rotation of sickness that that Nora perpetuates so pray for them pray for joe as, as she tries to nurse them back but um I'm thankful for the culture of Trinity Church Oak Cliff. I'm thankful to be part of a church that comes together, loves on each other, uh, does events like Oak Cliff, but events like if in Oak Cliff aren't anything special for, Oak, uh, for Trinity Church. Because on a weekend basis, we come together, we live life together, and, and, and we walk with each other through whatever life throws at you, whether it be a mountaintop experience or a valley. The people of, of Trinity Churchill Cliffs, people in this room, have decided that they are going to be a part of the, of the biblical community that God's called us to be. And I'm thankful for that. It really blew me away uh, when I first came here. When I first came here, I came from a very traditional church um, that, that really put an emphasis on community, but nothing to the extent that I've seen at this church. I never really understood what community was until I came here and saw the willingness of this body to live life with each other through the messiness, through the sickness, through the, through the excitement, through the, the celebrations, through the successes, through the failures of just saying, come, come hill or high water, we're going to be the church, we're going to walk through uh, life with you, we're going to love one another. So I'm thankful for that. Last week we jumped back into the study of Hebrews, so we took a pause uh, from our study of Hebrews as we walked through Advent, and then we walked through our, our beginning of the year series on our identity in Christ, um, but last week we go back into Hebrews, so we started Hebrews in the fall of 19, and then we're, we're going through it uh, word by word, uh, passage by passage, just to try to dive in and see the beauty that this, this, this book of the Bible has for us, and I'm really excited. And I really enjoy Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews is a pastor writing to his congregation. And the thing that he encapsulates what the importance of this book is is the same thing that this pastor wants for this congregation is really the supremacy of Christ. He understands and he writes from a, a, a position that if you can understand the supremacy of Christ and you can keep. Christ supreme in your life, the rest of your life will fall into order. And that's the same thing I want for this church. And he writes with this eager anticipation. He writes for this yearning that, that the people he loves opens their eyes to the truth that is Christ and what he is and how he has saved us, he has sustained us, and will be there for us. And that's the same truth that I feel for y'all. So there, as I study this book and when we dive in to these scriptures, uh, there's this commonality between the writer and me where I, I feel this, this angst and all I really want for this church. Uh, above anything else. I, I want good things for you. I want, I want your families to multiply. I want them to be healthy. I want you to, to have a fruitful marriage. I want so many things for you, but they're all under the umbrellas of you understanding who Christ is in your life. They're all under the auspices of if you keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the supremacy in Christ and all you do, the rest of your life will fall into order. And that doesn't mean it's going to fall into a smooth, peaceful order, but that you will find peace um, that passes understanding through you understanding your Savior and salvation that is at hand. Um, last week we looked at the image of Christ through being our high priest, that he is a faithful high priest and how we, we hold fast to our confession of that truth, that he came and he died for us. And since he died and, and conquered hell and grave, conquered hell and the grave, he is now the great high priest, the holy high priest, the mediator, the in-between. The how God now looks at us through the lens of Christ and his atoning blood we kind of ended last week on our our understanding that we are not alone that we are not misunderstood that we are ransomed and that we are free that we are not alone because christ is always with us we are not misunderstood because we have a savior who came and became a hundred percent man for us that we have been ransomed in his death and that we are now free in, in the light and grace of salvation Today we're going to continue on the imagery and the theme of of Christ as our high priest. And the writer of Hebrews is going to explain to us why we have to understand the importance of Christ as our high priest. As as important as it was in in 60 AD when this book was written, as it is 2020, for us to understand Christ's title, Christ's position as as high priest because it, it, it flows through everything he does for us. Today we're going to read a little more than we normally do. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. You can stay seated. I'm going to read it out loud. Uh, The the passage should be behind us. There's a Bible all around you. Uh, So here we go. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorance and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, and today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he who heard him because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he had suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God, a high priest and of the order of Melchizedek. Let me pray over us, and we're going to dive into this passage. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunities we have just to worship you, to dive into your word. God, I pray for the next few moments we would just solely focus on your word and your ways, that we may apply them, we may live by them, and we may find peace and joy in them. I pray all things in your name. Amen. Alright, so again, the writer of Hebrews is just explaining the imagery of the great high priest. He's explaining um, why Christ is our high priest. He's explaining um, why it's important for us to understand what a high priest is, and then for us to live out that understanding, to live out uh, our knowledge of our our great mediator, our great uh, go-between, that he has saved us and now God looks at us. Through the lens of Christ, and that's important. That's where we find our freedom. That's where we find our salvation. That's where we find our hope. That's where we find our joy. So we see this. We see that every high priest is chosen among men as appointed on behalf of men to relate in relation to God. So the high priest, in the nation of Israel, um, the, the, the human high priest that were called before Christ, um, their main job was to be a go-between. They were were to sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel to God that God may be able to look upon them through their sacrifice, especially on the Day of Atonement. So there was one specific day in the nation of Israel where they would make this big offering, and for that moment, Christ uh, or God would be able to look at the nation of Israel through the offering, through the holies of holies, through what the the high priest had made offering to. And he, on behalf of man in relation to God, he gave gifts. He gave sacrifices. We see first his solidarity. We see that that a called high priest. Uh, was uh, in one with the nation of Israel because he was one of the nation of Israel. And you see the attributes in some ways, the same as the earthly high priest being the same as the, the holy high priest, which is Christ. He was one of the nation of Israel. It's vital that you understand that, that Christ came and became 100% man. He, there is a solidarity between us and our Savior. He is not some this, uh, this, this Zeus-like figure sitting on top of a mountain that's just looking and judging over us, but he came and became one of us. He understand He understood... The, the fragileness of humanity. He had a father, he had a mother, he had brothers, he had sisters. He saw friends die. He, he, he cried over circumstances. He cried over the death of his friends. He understood that every step he took on earth led him closer to the cross. He could see through the teachings of the gospel that, that the anxiety of the cross is the the the, the weight of the cross, and he knew that he was born to die as a sacrificial lamb. The weight of that understanding, that title and that job weighed on him. And you see this urgency in his gospel. You see the urgency in his teachings that he understood there was an expiration date, that he wouldn't be here uh, for very long. And you see that. That's, that's where the solidarity comes from the high priest. We have a high priest, a holy high priest, that came and lived life as a human. And then you see sympathy. No, no, no. Christ never sinned. He, he was tempted but never sinned. And we talked last week there's a difference between being tempted and acting on that temptation in the act of sin. Yes. Uh, Christ was tempted. He was tempted um, by normal pains of being a human, but he was also specifically tempted by Satan. And he said no to all of those temptations and never acted in sin. He was the 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 beautiful sacrificial lamb that was without blemish and without cause. Um, But he understood the plight of humanity. He understood those temptations. So we have a high priest that is uh, in solidarity of our understanding and our fragileness. The human kind, uh, the human temptation, uh, what it is to be man. And he also understands the, empathy, the sympathy of, of being tempted. So we have a high priest that has, has walked the walk with us as our Savior. We also then usher in, he says, this is out of the order of Melchizedek. And a lot of you, we've already kind of gone into what Melchizedek, Melchizedek uh, is and who he was when we studied uh, last year. Uh, Genesis, and we walk through Genesis, um, and, and there's a lot of beautiful uh, imagery and symbolism in the life of Melchizedek, and the reason you know he's important is because he has a crazy name, and I can say it right, so we do a lot of studying, there's a lot of importance in him, and we don't have time to dive into all of that, but pretty much Melchizedek was a character in the Old Testament, we see him in Genesis, he appears, and he blesses Abraham, and why he gets tied and, and paralleled with Christ is because he was a king and he was a priest. And there's a lot more that dives into him. He was the king of Salem, which is, which is actually translated to peace. So he was the king of peace. Um, he was also a priest uh, in, in a pagan land which where, where Christ found himself. Christ was a priest to all people, pagans and Jews. But the main thing you need to take from this scripture when you see Melchizedek is that he was a king and a priest. Of the highest order. It's the first time we saw this in the Old Testament where you had a king of a nation, a king of a region, also be the priest for that nation and that region. And a priest would offer sacrifices for his people. And that's ultimately what Christ is. He is king, he is seated at the right hand of God, and at the same time, he is our high priest, he is a mediator for us to God. Lastly, we see um, this this prayer and supplication. We see the writer of Hebrews say that that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and, and tears. He was able to save us from death, and he learned his obedience by the Son from what he suffered. So what the writer here is saying is that we have a, a Savior that understands us and cried like us. He, he, he had a mother. He had a father. He understands what it was to be human. He was tempted but did not act. You see in Mark in the, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ has this beautiful moment of humanity where he's, he's praying and he's crying to to, to his Father, to God, to say, your will be done. Above all else, your will be done, but if you could remove this cup, do it. And there's a beauty there, because we, we understand prayer. We pray a lot. Um, some of us, uh, we always wish we pray more, we would pray more than we do, but a lot of us pray throughout the day. Sometimes we pray more in a tough spot. Sometimes we pray to get us out of a situation. Sometimes we pray for the sick. There's different kind of prayers, but we see prayer and supplication. Prayer is you, you earnestly praying um, for a common occurrence, a common healing, and just, just daily sustaining. But supplication is when something breaks you supplication is when you get on your knees and you have no other where nowhere else to turn you have no no other option than just to get on your knees cry and ask god for mercy grace and peace when you when you're at your, your your edge when you're at a breaking point in your life and you supplicate for for healing you supplicate for a child you supplicate for your marriage you supplicate for something uh for you to be out of the valley and on the mountaintop that is what christ is doing in the garden of gethsemane he is saying that that I understand your will be done. And above all, I am going to be a faithful servant of God. And I'm going to do what's called to me. I'm going to be the sacrificial Lamb. I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of this world. But I am scared. And I want, I want this to, I want you to understand the weight of this. And a lot of this, this passage in this prayer gets looked at with a lot of uh intrepidation because we see our Savior, our perfect God, asking for this cup to be removed. And, and he's in no way uh questioning the will of God. He actually starts this prayer with whatever you want, whatever your will is to be done, and he ends the prayer with whatever your will is, let it be done through me. But he is supplicating that, that he understands the weight of his death, and he understands it's going to physically hurt. It's going to physically hurt to be tortured and crucified, but it's going to spiritually hurt for the sins of humanity to be weighed down on him, and he's willing to bear that cost, and he became uh, obedient until death. So we see a lot in this passage. We see the continual, beautiful imagery of the great high priest. So we have a, we have a perfect high priest. We have, a, we have solidarity in our high priest with Christ. We have sympathy in our high priest with Christ. And then we have salvation. He is the sole source of salvation. You see that he is the source, not a source. He is the only way that God will ever be able to look at us is through the lens of Christ. I love the logic and the reason of Hebrews. I love that he is trying to meet his congregation where they live. He is not trying to say, hey, you just got to have faith, trust me. Hey, if there's some things you're never going to be able to explain, just take a leap of faith. He's actually trying to meet them with logic and reason. He's actually trying to use the Old Testament law to prove New Testament grace. He's saying, yes, what you believe is beautiful, but it was a shadow. Of things to come. Old Testament uh, uh, law, Mosaic law, was actually never meant to lastingly sustain you or actually atone for you. It was actually to make you focus in on sin and realize every time you sinned, something had to die. Every time you stepped outside of God's will, an animal's blood had to be shed. All it was trying to do is condition the nation of Israel for the cross of Christ. All it was trying to do is say, you have to associate sin with blood. Because one day your Savior will come and his blood will atone for you. And that's a, that's the only thing that Old Testament law was supposed to do. But like like normal humans, that the nation of Israel was clinging to this law because they could understand it. It was a checks and balance. If you do this, you kill this. If you sin like this, you burn this. And there was safety and security in understanding that. But what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, all of that's been washed away. You the, the atonement is once and for all by the by the blood of our savior the broken and sinful uh, high priest the high priest had to offer sin for himself before he could offer sin for the nation of israel that in of itself doesn't make a lot of sense that in of itself says this guy is as broken as me he was born broken he's going to die broken he he's a sinful creation will never actually be able to atone for me Yes, he has momentary pause and he's able to fulfill Mosaic law, but the the long-term effects of that will never play out. We ultimately needed a sinless Savior. Which brings me to really modern-day Christianity in America. How long will we put our faith in things that were meant to fail us? You see the nation of Israel do this time and time again in the New Testament where they are putting their faith in something that is man-made and that has no, no eternal uh, lasting. We do that all the time. You, you, we put our faith in our job. We put our faith in our accomplishments. We put our faith... In in our marriage, when we put our faith in our kids, we put our faith in our standing, and maybe even put your faith in your pastor. And I'm telling you right now, all the things I just mentioned to you are beautiful gifts of God. But if that is where your faith lasts, your faith will fail you because your faith is not in anything that's eternally lasting. Your faith can only be in Christ Jesus. And yes, your faith in Christ, Jesus will lead you, lead you to love your wife and love your, your job and, and to love uh, your kids and to love things that God's given you, the blessing of stewarding over. But ultimately, if your faith is in something man-made, it will fail you. How long will we look for salvation in things that can never save us? We see in Colossians, Paul writes, "Put your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this world, because you are created and sustained by a ruling Savior. You want to be known, right? Like that's one. Of, that's one of the most polarizing factual statements of humanity. Is you want to be known? Even people that don't want to be known actually want to be known. It's the whole premise of social media. The whole premise of social media is that you want to be known. You, you want your vibes to be known. What you like to be known. Uh, what, what your interests are if you let me into your life and I could just scroll through your social media I would have a pretty good understanding of yourself your desires your wants your your goals all of those would be betrayed by your social media account whether it will be why you follow or who follows you or what you post is the desire to be known and what I love about Instagram is lately uh, if you look at if you look at a, a site it will show you who's following them and that is scary that is that is that is a a honesty and brutal truth that i don't know if humanity's ready for but our ultimate goal is to be known right we want to be known we want relationships and we want to do that um, through through a lot of different ways that were never actually meant to sustain us but the beauty of the holy high priest is you are known you are absolutely understood by Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. He understands you because he created you. He understands you better than you know yourself. The fact that he came and lived a life purely to die for you is the best understanding relationship you could ever want for, want to have. And so many times uh, we put our faith, we put our, our relationships, we put our desires in stuff that will never, ever meet our needs we have eternal needs that we are we are trying to get met by uh worldly things that will end you are understood your savior knows you and he has saved you and we're going to end in the same way we end last week you are not alone you have a savior that loves you you have a church that loves you you have a pastor that loves you you are understood You have a Savior that walks the same steps you're walking right now. He was tempted like you were tempted. He died for your temptations. He died for your sins. And he was risen again that you may have hope and peace in your understanding in Jesus Christ. You have been ransomed. You have been bought with a price. And you are free. I'm really excited how Hebrews is completely taking over any doubt you could have in your faith. And... There are still going to be times in Hebrews that we're not going to be able to fully comprehend the beauty of Scripture. But the writer of Hebrews continually comes at the cause for Christ. He continually says, I will use what you think is true to prove that Christ is king. I will use what the world thinks is true to prove that Christ is king. I will will use your understanding of the Old Testament to prove the grace of the New Testament. I'm going to pray over us and we're going to to continue to worship. Um, I pray that you understand this truth and it emboldens you this week. I pray that the idea that you are known and understood gives you a a peace that allows you to walk with Christ this week. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the time we have just to dive into your word. God, I'm thankful uh, for your position as high priest. I'm thankful for your position uh, as a loving father. Uh, As an Abba Father, God, I'm thankful um, that when God looks at us, when he looks at me, he looks at me through the, the blood and the limbs of Christ Jesus. I pray all things in your name. Amen.